Welcome to the 3v3 Podcast, your socially distanced hockey chat show. Here are your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. Wouldn't you know, we're already, what, less than a week into the official NHL offseason, we're down a person. <laughs> Was Patrick just playing through uh, uh, eventual, we will find out, injury, you know, the last few weeks? And we just have to wait for that press conference. Mm, had to had to have surgery suddenly and just, you know, no, there is no surgery involved. But <laughs> to go with the, uh, the storyline, pretend, pretend that he had surgery. Well, I mean, he, I believe he may be the surgeon involved mm. today based on some of the, uh, very carefully crafted images we have seen of some <laughs> some things that were definitely cut, and we'll let yes. we'll let you uh, take that however you want. <laughs> so, welcome to the off season. Yay! Okay. So, I guess we'll we'll get we'll stick to our normal routine and focus on last week's question, which uh, I think you brilliantly summarized in uh, the episode recap or uh, notes from last week, Cassie, Thank but you. would be an awesome person who does good, if not great work that we'd love to see on a broadcast next season. So first person that popped in my head would not want to do it. And so I started looking for other people and there are plenty of worthy people to mention, but I kept coming back to this guy. Um, and I know that, that, you know, I'm, I'm promoting a white man and it's hockey, but. And unfortunately that's unavoidable sometimes. Right. But hear me out. So, um, you may or may not know him. His uh, his name is Mike Murphy. Uh, his Twitter handle is at digdeepbsb, and uh, I've known him virtually for years, years and years and years. Um, he started out as a writer for Blue Shirt Banter, which is um, no, SB Nation. Yeah, SB Nation. Uh, New York Rangers blog. And um, so when I was doing the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, SB Nation blog, we were all buds, the the writers for BSB and the writers for Raw Charge. And we'd go back and forth on everybody's like game game day blogs and things. So anyway, um, in past, I don't know, five or six years, he's really started to make a name for himself writing about women's hockey. And uh, so he is also now with the Ice Garden, which is the SB Nation women's hockey blog. But on top of that, he created a website called Her Hockey Counts, and it's women's statistics. It's a women's hockey stats tracker, public database. Uh, there is a um, a Twitter account for that. It's at Her Hockey Counts, and that is also the website herhockeycounts.com. Uh, and then he's also a co-creator for another site that um, is a database for hockey coaches. Findthebenches.com. Um, the the, uh, the Twitter handle is at bench bosses and so he's he's uh and he also contributes to bantering the blue shirts podcast as well but um but i'm really focusing more on like the women's hockey stuff that, that he is writing and creating and doing um a lot with um he saw that there wasn't any um stats tracker for women's hockey so he created one and you know, it's got a Patreon account if you want to contribute and all of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he's been doing some freelance writing for some publications on women's hockey. He's been really promoting women's hockey. 
Um, and on top of this, he, he is doing this while working a regular job and managing depression and anxiety. So the depression and anxiety part is what would stop him from wanting to be on a broadcast, but he would love it <laughs> at the mm-hmm. same time. He would really love it. So, um, so I think that, that, you know, he deserves a lot more recognition than maybe he's gotten. Um, he's not necessarily well known in, in hockey Twitter circles. I mean, people who follow women's hockey know him, but mm, people who follow Rangers hockey know him. But um, but yeah, I, I kind of want to get his name out a bit more. He's a he's a huge teddy bear of a person and really nice guy and does really fantastic work. So speaking of the Bench Bosses website, um, Mm -hmm. if we could have an alternative broadcast feed where the FCC is not evolved, uh, (laughs) his partner in crime in that venture, uh, one Shana Goldman, uh, would be fantastic. Because I think, like Mike... she has her niche within the New York Rangers, but the wealth of knowledge is, you know, well, well beyond that. And I think her instant reaction to certain things, certain plays would be very fascinating. Like I have a very short list of people I would just want to sit and watch a game with or go back and rewatch a game with someone. And you know, the impetus for this question, Allison Lucan is like right up at the top of my list, but Shayna is up there and which Allison and Shayna do have a new newsletter that they put out. Um, that's on whatever that service, all the writers are kind of jumping to. I can't think of it off the top of my head. Eventually they're going to have like a little subscription service. Um, or what I believe will be a semi-weekly uh, newsletter, but she's up at the top of my list. But the person I wrote down immediately after last week's episode is um, someone who has done a bit of broadcasting uh, for the NWHL on their Twitch feed, and that's Cat Silverman. Mm. Um, one, never met a goalie who can't provide excellent analysis. I'm still <laughs> waiting. Uh, and two, she like, like what I mentioned with Shannon and with Mike just has a pulse on and anything and everything that's going on within the game and can instantly, you know, break down plays as she sees them, not just from the goaltender perspective. Uh, she knows her stuff and I know she could walk into a booth and be prepared and she would just, you know, be on fire. She would just be fantastic at it. And then I wrote down one last name and this may be a cheap segue, but I would really love to see Emily Kaplan provide some analysis. Mm-hmm. Especially so-called hockey analysis. Yeah, so-called hockey analysis when, you know, mm-hmm. she works for a future rights holder mm-hmm. in uh, a little over a calendar year's time, maybe. Um, so that was a fun little, uh, <sighs> because it's the NHL moment that happened this week. Yeah, yeah. First of all, before before we get into that, I would just like to add that Shayna has an Etsy store who and she sews up amazingly excellent uh, face masks for, you know, COVID masks. And yep. she has a large variety of NHL patterns, not yes. patterns, well, material that she can use. And so if you're looking for an NHL themed mask, go hit her up on her Etsy site. I was the weirdo in North Carolina getting my flu shot earlier today, wearing a Minnesota North stars mask. See, there you go. That's what it does. Exactly. So anyway, back to, <laughs> back to Gary Bettman smearing ESPN writers. <laughs> 
Uh, so uh, I have the quote in front of me. Uh, Bettman was a guest on a TSN 1040, which is the Toronto station. Uh, and he was asked to comment on ESPN's bubble confidential story, in which Emily and Greg Wyshynski interviewed uh, six, nine um, nine, I think, yeah. Uh, anonymous NHL players based on what bubble life was really like. And, you know, there was some mixed things about what was said in, uh, in that piece. Like, I guess this is the best that they can do under the circumstances, but this was not what was pitched to us. And the, the monotony day in, day out, you know, did get to wear on players. So I don't know what the exact question was to Batman, but here was his response as dictated by Wyshynski himself. I was in the bubble for three weeks. We had 150 staff between the two bubbles. Overwhelmingly, the players really thought the experience was really well done. I saw that story. Citing nine anonymous sources doesn't exactly get my attention. And it's unfortunate that somebody meaning a journalist, so-called, would find that an appropriate story to tell. If you got any criticism, put their names on it. End quote. Does he not understand the concept of quote-unquote sources? He doesn't <laughs> understand what happens when anyone opens their mouth in this league. Like the thing that we comment or criticize at least every other week, that there are unintended consequences for things like this. Yes, the NHL did the best that they could. And you know what? They had two goals keep everyone safe inside the bubble and finish the season. And you know what? Mission accomplished. Pat yourselves on the back. You took care of all your contractual obligations. Mm-hmm. Well, to make it sound like nine anonymous players who, you know, were willing to go on the record, so to speak, with with Greg and Emily. Um, oh, there, there's probably at least, you know, a couple dozen more players who would say something if, let's say, they weren't in the Stanley Cup final or in the conference finals or they weren't coming up for contract negotiations because behind the scenes behind the NHL paywall, as I call it, uh, people will know who talked Greg and Emily well, yeah. do not sh- share those names to anyone, but you'll find out who said what, because a player might've said the exact same comments to someone else, you know, within a team or someone on the other team. So they'll know who the nine, some of the nine people are, but I'm sorry. But you know, the thing is, is that Batman, Batman is like trying to blow it off as being an important one because he doesn't want it to look like anything but a stunning success. And two, you know, yeah, he would like to have names so he can like ban those blacklist those players from the league. <laughs> right. And. Look, they were lambasted for not letting, you know, outside media do any stories within the bubble, within the hotels that the players actually lived in. You know, there were representatives from each individual team and a few of the league's PR writers who were around, but... I'm sorry, did we get anything that didn't look like, you know, rainbows and sunshine? You know, 50-year-old head coaches with their shirts off looking like they could still play and some stuff (laughs) in a field in Toronto. And, oh, aren't I describing a bunch of stuff that happened within, like, the first three weeks? Right. I mean, and that's that's why... And I don't know if it was Bettman necessarily, but that was why they didn't want any media, independent media within the bubble. They didn't want the independent media to get all of the complaints, (laughs) you know, because they knew that it wasn't going to go over well with everybody. 
But at this, you know, it, so they, they, it was censoring, which is why a lot of the um, media were really upset about not being, a, not being included because they felt that they were being censored. And they were because Bettman wanted to like pawn this off as a massive success. And it didn't matter that apparently it didn't matter to him that nobody got sick, which is actually the successful part. Yeah. Like right? I said, the two things that they, sh- the whole point of this were to complete the season, make sure no one success or gets right. sick. They complete the season. That's why it's massively successful. It doesn't mean stuff behind the scenes wasn't a pain for, you know, everyone else oh, you I mean, can do I was, something successful and there still be problems with it right and i mean i was like looking at various players being interviewed as the process went along and you could tell who was struggling with their mental health as they were doing it you know the, the they weren't as quick with the smile or as quick with the like happy comment or or whatever and i mean it wasn't going to be for everybody and it wasn't. And of course, they weren't going to be able to live up to all of the expectations because nothing ever does. But, you know, like you said, it, you can be successful and still have things you need to work on. Right. Or and, not do. And I don't know if this is to their credit or almost to their detriment. This story was published on September 22nd. Mm-hmm. The story itself was commented on October 2nd. So we're, we're talking about a oh, 10 to 12 day period here. They didn't drop this, you know, immediately after the Stanley Cup was awarded. It, so I'm sure a lot of the comments, like I try, tried to allude to, came from people or players who were either eliminated or maybe not playing all that much. But when all is said and done, the story still turned mostly to the um, the Detroit Maple Leafs winning the cup and bringing it back <laughs> to the state of Florida. Much to the de- detriment of all. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean... I think Batman was being, and I don't usually throw this terminology out because I think everybody has a right to feel what they feel. But at the same time, I kind of feel like Batman was a little oversensitive about this. Oh yeah. And I, I think he probably took most issue with the phrase, I believe it was prison yard, mm-hmm. which described an outdoor patio outside of the Western conference hotel which literally looked down onto a concrete floor with a, some sort of sponsor logo. I don't know if it was the hotels or something with the arena next door. Anyway, it was literally a concrete slab with some, with some picnic tables. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, call a spade a spade, but I mean, that doesn't sound that nice. No. <laughs> if that's no. the one one thing, one place you can go outside during these late rounds, I mean, yeah, that would kind of suck. But hey, I, I, I still get to play hockey and at least do something. Right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think that... I mean, Bettman had a right to not feel, to not like the article, but I think he went a little too far in calling them like so-called journalists. Well, when that's <laughs> all his organization employs uh, that writes for their, you know, media entities, that's mm-hmm. what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. But one of the funny things that uh, I believe Emily said the most uh, in her reporting on the story was, wouldn't it be nice if they just put a couple plants out in the prison yard <laughs> just to add a splash of color? Well, it was actually both her and Wyshynski who wrote it. They wrote it together. Right. Uh, but I think this comment specifically was on their podcast where they, oh, they were kind of okay. doing yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a, a post-published, all right, well, here's the feedback and here's some other things that we didn't really get into the piece. And they said, mm-hmm. yeah, just throw a couple plants in there 
and just be mm. like, oh, yeah, doing that little Edmonton. bit extra. Edmonton. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And since I set this up, speaking of colors, mm-hmm. the most important news of the week, would you say, <laughs> no, it wasn't Henrik Lundqvist's buyout. No, it wasn't the fact that um, Oli Mata was traded earlier this afternoon. Robin Lanner got a contract extension. But that the Vegas Golden Knights unveiled a third jersey. <laughs> Shining, shimmery, and splendid, just like Aladdin. <laughs> oh. I'm singing it in my head, and I'm not going to belt any. I'll show you the world. <laughs> Uh, earlier today, they the team released a bunch of images 
with a photo shoot taken uh, from some sort of rooftop where you can see various casinos in the background. And it looks really great at, in like nightlight. It really stands out. I'm very curious how it's going to look on a broadcast. I think it'll it probably look- won't look. It probably won't look that much different than their current jerseys from a broadcast. Cause I mean, you're so far away from the ice unless you're like zoomed in and then the lights are not, um, the lights are kind of diffused. Right. I mean, it's bright, but it's diffused. And so they're probably not going to glitter that much. I mean, up close when they zoom into players, you might see a little bit of glitter, but I would think on a broadcast, you're not going to really notice much of anything. I definitely think they're going to look better in person should fans ever get to see these in person in the next yeah. year. Uh, <laughs> because I I kind of felt that way about the Vegas home dark jerseys where I got to see one at the draft in Chicago. Uh, and being able to hold and feel the actual jersey, I got to try it on. It's It looked much better than the initial images. But I'm not sure how much the metallic part, which really looks cool up close, will even come off in person to say someone 15, 20 rows off the ice. Uh, Okay, so (laughs) as a woman who has worn and seen other women wear very shiny material (laughs) in a variety of lighting, uh, 15, 20 rows off the ice in an arena um you might see a little bit of shimmer but you're not really probably going to see very much um you know it's really going to be obvious when fans wear it you know on on the concourses and in the stands and at you know team events and stuff that's really when you're going to like in person see it but even if you're sitting in the stands Unless you're probably within the first like couple rows and the puck is being played in that end, you're you're probably not going to see much. It, yeah. it, again, it'll just look a little a little glittery probably, but um, but it's you know it's a uh, I've seen that kind of material before, not probably as thickly woven as it is on the jersey, but you know on dresses and things and. Um, it's shiny plastic threads woven into the material. I mean, you know, most jerseys are like half acrylic anyway, which is pretty much plastic, but mm-hmm. um, so, you know, it'll stretch with the material, but it doesn't, if the material is stretched, that's when you're more likely to see the shiny. If it's not, then you won't see a lot of it. It'll be very subdued. Yeah, I I think you said it best. I think fans walking out of the arena will just be the peak. This is this is looks awesome. Mm-hmm. But I think they did some what they made some wise choices. They they didn't go too overboard with. They didn't introduce like a gold metallic helmet. They. Oh, they didn't do gold gloves. They they did decide to go with the white gloves, which look oh. Okay with this? I think yeah, they could have. I'm not sure why they did white gloves. I mean, I like the white gloves and the. I, mean, I guess it's your thing, but yeah. It looks a little off because the go- the way the sleeve works is they have this big white patch underneath, kind of where the TV numbers are on the on the sides. Mm-hmm. And I think I really think they should have gone with the gold there. Because then they have their little, you know, detailed accent, deserty casino. I don't even. They're they're bits of flair. Yeah, I mean the the for the for a lot of the white on the um, the white bands on the sleeves, they have. Um, I don't impressions. That it would be important. Yeah, so they they put they've put impressions within the material, which I would be interested to see how long that's going to last. Cause I, I, again, as a woman, you see this on various clothes, depending on what decade, decade you're in or trying to be in. And 
And so they did that. They also did a kind of brocadey thing around the actual helmet logo. Um, it's black on black. And I, as someone who's done a bit of genealogy, it's very reminiscent of um, a crust, a family crust kind of thing. Right. Um, and so that's that's embroidery, I believe, the way they did that. But um, but it has that sort of family crust slash, um, you know, rich material kind of look to it. Again, you're not going to see that on you know from the ice or from the stands, and you're not going to see that, you know, certainly not on broadcasts. But again, fans wearing those jerseys, that's what where it's going to be seen. But that. But yeah, the on the on the arm, the white bands, it's just basically a heat impression into the material. So it looks like it's almost paisley. Um, and it mimics what they have done on their current both versions of their you know home and roads. But it's just if they went with more darker colors or minimized the white, I think the white gloves would look a lot better. That was probably my biggest complaint. The white in the sleeves. You know, flip flip from the, you know, gold shoulders to the gray behind the TV numbers back to gold and then maybe back to the gray. I think the gloves might look a little better. So in person, when you see everything together, it, it might look like a third jersey that they're not going to wear for like a playoff run. Or they could because it's Vegas. (laughs) They could. (laughs) But, um, but no, I mean, you know, as a third Jersey, we've all seen worse. Yeah. (laughs) We've all seen so much worse. (laughs) And it totally, I love that they did stick with the primary logo on these. So they can do a fourth crazy red or even a gradient jersey with their uh, version of the Vegas star that currently Mm. sits on the shoulders. They can get wild and crazy with that. They didn't burn it on this one. Now, and then apparently... uh, when they when the jerseys are being sold, it also comes with a commemorative coin. So if you're going to buy a jersey in the box, it comes with a comm- a commemorative coin. I don't know if that's for season ticket holders or anybody who buys it, or if that's well, just the first round of jerseys that are being sold, and then when they sell out, nobody else gets those. It it's an exclusive to the first. 777 uh, people who purchase these jerseys Mm. the jersey uh, you know name and number customization and this limited edition coin right I'm not sure where the 777 like that was very intentional right but I don't I don't think why that number was revealed exactly was intentional. But then can we talk about the additional Vegas Golden Knight gold Adidas shoes? Well, first I wanted to mention that the coin. Oh, yeah. The the most important part of the coin. Well, I actually haven't seen it. I just wanted to mention the fact of it is that so. So the who is is fully still the owner? Okay. Yeah. So um, the whole point of the Vegas jersey and, you know, name thing was that Foley was either he was former military or like family was former military or something like that. He was former army. Right. Uh, So he was a cadet at the army academy. West Point. Um, So. So the thing is, is that, um, and a lot of people don't necessarily know this because a lot of people aren't in the military, um, is that coins in the military are a big thing. Um, 
coins are given out to people as a reward, as a commemorative thing, as a, um, you know, they've, they've been promoted thing. The coins are a big deal in, in the military. And that's why the, that's a commemorative coin thing is a part of this because, you know, knights, the, the whole, the whole concept of the Jersey is, um, incredibly informed by West Point and the fact that they are, you know, the knights, um, and all of that. So, so that's when I first saw the coin thing, I was like, Oh yeah. Tying it back into the whole army thing. Okay. I got it. So, (laughs) and I've just pulled up an image of what I believe to be what the coin will be. Uh, it's, the best way I could describe it is think of a movie prop to bloom where it's a, uh, you know, it'll fit in your palm, but it's a little bigger than actual current U S currency, at least uh, with the golden Knight logo on one side, the secondary logo on the other and Vegas golden Knights written around the perimeter of both sides with, with more accents and details. So it looks you know, well above what a poker chip would look like. It looks like a military coin. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen a number of them. I was a uh, I was a contractor for the military for ten years. So um, the mili- officers, military is not supposed to give those to civilians, but um, I've seen a number of people having little plaques with them in their offices. <laughs> yeah, lots of enamel, lots of shiny. You know. That sort of thing. Anyways, the shoes. The shoes. And apparently, as part of this working with Adidas, uh, there are also like 300 pairs of these metallic gold Adidas running shoes um, Mm -hmm. that look ridiculous. They match the jersey. Yes, they do, and they do not look bad at all. Like even yeah. for a gold shoe. Um, well, see, and that's the that's the thing, right? Is that um, the whole concept, the shoe and the jersey? It's really easy to get really tacky, really fast with gold, mm-hmm. right? And so, whoever managed to like put this all together needs a freaking huge bonus because they did it right i mean you don't have to like the whole concept but it isn't tacky it isn't garish it isn't it isn't like you know what you would think the the worst the worst stereotype type of vegas right um this is the jersey and everything is the best stereotype of Vegas, where it's classy but glitzy, you know, instead of trashy and tacky. So, whoever did it, I mean, props to them because it's really hard to like make make gold, like not yellow gold, but gold actually look not tacky. Right, and it. And tying into Vegas, this would look great. Even if you were to just wear, say, darker jeans or pants and wearing their current home jerseys, the shoes would still look good. Mm -hmm. Like, this isn't a you just put them on a shelf type thing, even for, you know, sneakerheads, as they want to be called. Um, Which reminds me, I wanted to bring this up a couple weeks ago, but... Adidas needs to have shoe deals with some of these athletes. Yes. Well, I mean, Adidas is like really missing the boat on this because they could actually really be like doing the track suits that the, that the teams use, that they could, you know, be marketing to fans and the shoes that the teams use that they could be marketing to fans. And you know, while they're marketing to fans, giving those deals to like someone off the team, a player or two. Yeah, I mean, they they could be like really, really going for this, and they're not. 
Yeah, why Connor McDavid doesn't release a new... Basically, he picks the colors on a template for the next version of this Boost shoe, which is a pretty popular running shoe in their line. I have a client that they sell running shoes, and I own a pair of these, and they're really great. But I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts where they... They basically fantasy draft random things in life. And one episode was just on sneakers and they had three guys that are really into sneakers and another person who used to work uh, for a basketball magazine and sneakers are a big deal in, you know, the non on the court side for basketball players and, you know, certain talents they have, different version of shoes coming out every couple of years. But just as an entry point, designing a cool sneaker that can be sold at retail stores. And apparently there's a whole crazy third market for selling, you know, limited run shoes. It'd be a cool entry point for people getting into hockey. If, you know, a player could design a cool looking shoe. Not just white. <laughs> not, no, not just white. It mu- just must be inc- plain white shoe. <laughs> so at least in McDavid's case, it says you must include at least a third orange in this shoe, or we're not paying you your endorsement this year. Right. <laughs> but just having some fun with it, and I like the idea of being able to get more of the warm-up stuff, just like you described. That would be awesome. Like. You can find things on Adidas website after, I guess, the teams have ordered their stuff for next year. Mm-hmm. You can occasionally get a thing or two, but fans want some of the, you know, pregame warm-up hoodies or, or track pants, or they would probably want some sneakers, too. If I'm already buying this running shoe, why not get it this thing for a player? that they designed right. so they get a couple extra pennies why not because god forbid any nhl players stand out from his team and actually you know do things independent of his team and, and right. make money off of it like outside of Sidney crosby of course will alex petrangelo's supposed interest in vegas be turned after seeing this jersey being un- unveiled <laughs> you know yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like they do it for basketball and they do it for football, warm-up stuff. This is what the New England Patriots are wearing these days. Buy it now, you know, kind of stuff. It's like I don't understand why they don't do that with the NHL at all. Like at all. Yeah. It never made any sense to me because, you know, you would see you see pictures all the time, like pregame. You're getting pictures of guys like putting on gear and they're wearing a certain T-shirt underneath, you know, certain team T-shirt underneath their gear. Or, you know, maybe they're wearing a certain pair of, of athletic shoes as they're warming up, doing, um, you know, a little soccer practice in the back or hoodie or, you know, I mean. It's built-in marketing right there. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to do anything. You just all you have to do is say, just like you saw during warm-ups, this is what this guy's wearing. You know, kind of fit. There, people would eat that up. And that's what going back to the jerseys and what you said. It's going to look best on the fans, and it's just instant built-in marketing. Like right. I know, I own a lot of paraphernalia for a certain local team, and I'm. I've accepted that, yeah, I'm just kind of a marketing ploy at this point, but I know enough people that work there. I do want to support them and, you know, hope that they can continue doing stuff that they love. And because I like hockey and I want to see it survive in the area because I want to keep going to games. I'm okay with that. There's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with a little bit of self-promotion. So why not have the players do it a little more too with a built-in part contracted partner? Like 
I know Adidas has their hands in so many other sports and much larger athletes that they're they're not worried about this. But I challenge anyone who's still reluctantly on Twitter, go search out the Arizona State hockey team and their equipment managers and see all the cool looking stuff they get from Adidas. Like, well, and just, it's not even, I mean, all you have to say is University of Oregon Ducks. Exactly. That's it. I mean, they're, they are, the, the University of Oregon is in the same town as Nike headquarters. So what does Nike do? They use the University of Oregon sports teams to test out new materials, new designs. They have an agreement with, you know, the university. And so that's why the Oregon Ducks have like all of these crazy different like college football uniforms that everybody does, though. It's not just college football at, at Oregon. It's the, all the sports because it's their their built in training you know, testing program right there. They just they donate shoes to the running team, you know, to the cross country team. See how the cross country team wears out the shoes, you know. Um, they, they do jerseys for universe for the football team and see how, what material works better than other materials, you know, that kind of stuff. And so that's why they always have this huge selection of all these crazy designed uniforms, at least the football team, which is more public because Nike's using them as, as their testing ground. So, but all the same, yeah, you know, go to the University of Oregon's bookstore and see what you can buy. Exactly. As clothes for those of those who are not American and maybe listening to this, bookstores also sell the clothes. So. <laughs> I mean, they got to have something people want to buy. Oh my God! Instead of two hundred dollar uh, economics books that are updated every year, and you have to get the latest edition. Thank you, professor, hey. who wrote the book. Yes, yes. Because that was a big controversy outside of sports this past week. Ugh. <laughs> that's uh, that's every college every year going back to like the 1980s. Oh, so. I was I was going in with a group of people photoshopping pages out of a book that cost several hundred dollars. Yeah, it's not a I new mean, thing. No, no. So anyway, um, no, the whole thing is stupid with like marketing and hockey. And a lot of it comes down to the league and a lot of teams are run by Canadians and not run by Americans. Cause if they were Americans would be running that horse into the ground, you know, they would be like, yeah, okay. Well, well, cause they market differently. This is why some teams are more successful in areas than others, right? And and I've been on this like soapbox before, but it's true. You have to market everything to everyone in the United States. It's like the Cowboys do it, the Patriots do it, the Yankees do it, everybody does it. And so, you know, and, and in Canada, they just do the Let's open the doors of the arena and people will show up. Yeah. It, <laughs> and so, it, people wonder why regional ratings dictate everything and why if you don't have the right matchups and certain events, ratings tank. I right. Mean, and I mean, Tampa, who just won the Stanley Cup, is a great example. And I've used this example multiple times is that they only care about really the fans in their city. And they could take in northern Florida, most of Georgia, most of uh, Alabama as their entire, like, regional area. But they don't give a damn. They don't care. They just want the people in, you know, St. Pete, Tampa, and Clearwater. And that's all they care about. It's small potatoes, you know. They, They... they get just enough to get them by and they're okay with that. And when they could be like, you know, doing promotion stuff in Jacksonville or Atlanta or, you know, Birmingham or whatever. Although Birmingham's really more like 
Nashville, but that's another story. And I was just about to bring up Nashville. That is something at least that that team has done. They do reach down into Alabama, into Georgia, post Thrashers moving to Winnipeg. Um, how successful that is for them, I, I'm not, I don't know. And you can even look at the Canes where as soon as they changed ownership and, you know, they brought in some additional staff so they, you know, have enough time to think a little bit outside of, you know, this is the way we've always done it, bringing in people from other sports, the way they capitalized on their whole bunch of jerks thing. It wasn't that they were just selling the shirt and, you know, they were able to sell it to everyone. They're also giving shirts away to people who were, for lack of a better term, hockey influencers on YouTube or Twitter or on Instagram. And sure enough, of course, this person's going to mention that this team sent them a shirt for free. And it just gets you thinking about them. And can we say outside of Justin Falk trade rumors, you've heard about the Carolina Hurricanes in the press way more post that whole bunch of jerks run? Oh, yeah. And, and like, their social media team is amazing. And so, you know, what are people saying when their team falls out? Uh, what team should I follow? I think I'm going to follow Carolina. Yeah, and it has nothing to do with a player on the team. Or just (laughs) focusing on the four or five surrounding counties in Carolina, which they could still do a better job as I'm right next door and they neglect my county, but that's neither here nor there. They're doing a good job. Let's let's all look at going back to Vegas. What did Vegas do before they actually started – up their team or as they were starting up their team before they started playing is they took they did a couple of bus runs up to montana you know stopping off in idaho and utah and hanging out and promoting their team nobody does that in the nhl (laughs) you know they just care about their team seattle's doing it to a way lesser extent because of covid right now I have a feeling they would be doing the same, but just by creating something that looks a little cool and different, whether you like it or not, whether you feel it was appropriate for the Seattle market or not, it gained a lot of traction, you know, on the East coast of the U S I know people in Colorado that already own some, you know, Kraken merch, which sounds really weird to phrase that way. <laughs> but just cr- by creating something cool that looks good, that isn't necessarily traditional, isn't for everyone, you're gonna get you're gonna get some buzz, and people are just gonna buy it to buy it. And again, their social media team is is really good. They're not as chatty as necessarily Carolina's, but you know they put out a lot of content and they put out a lot of interesting content. And they are definitely making a point of being as inclusive as possible, you know, and they're not shying away from politics and they're not shying away from from controversial things. They're they're taking it all in and saying, this is all of you. So this is all of us. And yeah, if they had if they had the ability without COVID going on, they would be in Spokane and in Portland and like no time flat, you know, just like in Northern Idaho and just promoting the hell out of everything. So, um, so yeah, you know, I mean, here where I'm at in Massachusetts, they're so insular. They're just so focused on like the Bruins that they barely can see outside of that. So there isn't a lot of like cracking like type stuff going on around here, but um, and some haven't even really heard about it because they don't care because it's not their team. It's not the Bruins, but um, but it's gotten a lot of really good buzz from a lot of people around the country and around the world from mm. from what I've seen on on Twitter. But I'm sure those same people are well aware of things that happen outside the Patriots, outside the Celtics, outside of the Red Sox. 
in yeah. those respective sports. Now, do they care? Probably not. But they're yeah. at least aware of something. And sometimes that's right. good enough. Yeah, that's what happens when you're one of the arbitrary six, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just and, that's, and, and that's why, you know, I hope and pray for future women's leagues. They get away from those particular markets because I think there's a lot more potential elsewhere. But it's where the players live and they can travel the least. And I understand that. But Well, and then there's also that's the the densest populated areas and they have the most people to draw draw from what they're doing does make sense but it'd be nice to take a leap like when the professional women's hockey i can't even players association players it is ph w p j yeah I, I always yeah. get two and three mixed up, second and third letters mixed <laughs> up. But when they went to Anaheim, when they went to Arizona to play some of their games, they saw a successful crowd where they're they're getting they're not going to get capacity. But when you're talking, you know, above ten thousand people in a building, that's a that's a win. Can they uh, run yeah, a yeah. league out of those markets? Eh, probably not. But if they continue hitting it and then they do what Vegas is doing and, you know, they're putting a another team close by, you know, up the road in Henderson, that's where their minor league team's going to be. And maybe, maybe there is a way to do it. Well, I mean, Ratings came out for the WNBA, and they're up like 60-plus percent this year Mm -hmm. over last year for TV ratings. And, you know, which is great for the WNBA. I mean, fantastic, good for them. But it also, like, bodes well for other women's sports. Exactly. Other women's professional sports. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, because WNBA is kind of the the really only successful model that any other, like, sport, women's sports has to, like, model themselves off after. And isn't it interesting that they've had to work at it for 20-plus years at this point to get to this point? We're not cutting them off at the knees in year one or two, like every other league seems to be. Well, and that's because people don't understand. I will give Gary Bettman this, is that he recognizes the fact that an NHL team in 20 years will be successful because they have then brought up an entire generation of people who grew up with that sport, right? So it takes about 20 years for a team anywhere in any sport as an expansion team, usually to establish themselves. Vegas is a complete outlier. They are a freak of nature and good for them, but most teams can't do that. So, you know, traditionally it takes about 20 years. And, And so, yeah, anyone who expects instant success from any league, any new league, women or men, you know, within like three to five years are idiots. They have no idea how these things grow. So I just, and I I understand the impatience. I understand that, you know, they're losing money and they want to be making money. But the fact of the matter is most sports don't actually make money. (laughs) Most sports teams don't make money. So it's a means to some other business end. It's a it's a, a vanity it's a vanity business. Yeah. You know? It's it's a I mean some owners really enjoy the sport and that's what they want to do and they want to be involved in it, but you know, it's really a look at me, I own a sports team kind of status symbol thing. But most teams don't make money. They just don't. It's like you can probably count off, you know, 
the fingers on your hands, the ones that do, and they're the obvious ones, of course. Um, all the New York teams, you know, <laughs> all the big name teams that everybody knows and everybody hates, except their fan bases. Um, and and all of that. So um, so yeah, it's just people drive me crazy. That's all. I think that should be the definition of people in the dictionary. They will drive you crazy. Mm-hmm. That's what they are. Mm-hmm. So, are we ready for my question? Yes, because, I mean, there's only about 10,000 things that are going to happen this week, so let's just let the dust settle on those and move on to something a little <laughs> more fun. All right, so I went with fun. So God, I love the off-season. <laughs> so we just had a shiny shimmery gold jersey be presented to us as a third jersey so if you were designing the gaudiest jersey you could come up with what team would you choose and what would you what would it look like what would you do to it this has been the 3b3 podcast Follow us on Twitter at 3v3podcast. We're available for NHL consulting at reasonable fees.